thank you, Lord, for um, the privilege of being able to share a message that's going to help us all love each other. Uh, we are all meant to go arm in arm, arm in arm into the kingdom of God together. And we either rise together or we fall together because we're a body and we need each other. So last week we talked about how demons enter. We talked about how demons enter and we said how demons enter is through unforgiveness. Uh, it's the same thing that the man of God talked about. We, we demons enter through unforgiveness and we looked at how we looked at that. And uh, today we want to continue that. We want to talk about how demons enter. Um, the second part, we want to talk about how they enter through dead traditions. Demons enter through dead traditions. I want to jump right in. We're going to look at begin with Mark in chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. All right. He says, <clears throat> he says, and they went into Capernaum, Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. He says, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he, em he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately... There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud spirit came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they even questioned them among themselves, saying, who is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands, uh, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. <clears throat> and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all, all the surrounding re re region. Now, here you have, in this passage of Scripture, here you have a contrast between the power of tradition and the power of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. The, there's a contrast between the power of tradition and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power of tradition preserved a system. It preserved an organization. It preserved the synagogue. It kept the synagogue in place. It kept the institution in place, but it had allowed a man, a demon-possessed man, to sit in the Jewish congregation unchallenged for however long. Here he was. This man was demon-possessed sitting in the, in the congregation up under the word. How, how did that happen? And that's the same thing with us. If, if, if when, when we go unchallenged, when our behavior goes unchecked, when, we, when we're allowed to just go on and nobody says anything to us about our behavior, when, when the Word of God, we're not allowing the Word of God to challenge us, or the Word of God is not being preached in a way to challenge us, then what happens? You become subject to demonic influence. That's how you can have somebody sitting in the synagogue where all the uh, accoutrements of holiness are and still be demon-possessed. That's how you can have a Judas Iscariot sitting, sitting up under the teachings of God himself manifesting in the flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, and still, in the end, have Satan betray him because the word that Jesus was preaching to him 
he never allowed to challenge him and change his life. <laughs> and so because of him, and so because of that, in the end, he ended up demon possessed. And so again, he uh, one of the reasons for why he was able to do this that that there was able to be a demon in the synagogue is because their traditions canceled out the word of God. And don't think that this is just a problem with that particular synagogue. It was a problem nationwide because the Pharisees had control of the synagogue system. And they actually, control, they actually ruled the daily affairs of Israeli, Israelite public life in that time. So this was a problem all throughout the synagogue where the traditions that were instituted were nullifying the word of God. The, the traditions nullified the effect and change to holy and godly behavior that the law was intended to bring. The law was intended to bring a change in behavior. That's the whole point. The, the laws were not for God. The laws were for the people. And so, again, how could you go, and another, another evidence of this is the fact that how could you sit under the law for over 400 years in the synagogue system and still need a John, John the Baptist to preach a message of repentance that draws thousands and thousands and thousands of people during his lifetime? What are you doing in there? What, what are you doing? What, what is being preached in there? You got a whole synagogue system that you've had for 400 years, yet here comes John the Baptist and thousands of people are coming to repent. What is that? What is being preached in there? there it was not a message that was challenging them to repent, and they had nullified the effect of the word of God to bring holy and godly behavioral change as the law was intended to bring. And so because they made a word of God of no effect because the word, they made the word of God of no effect for the sake of their tradition. They didn't want the challenge. They didn't want the edge. They didn't want the sword of the word of God to cut them. So they nullified it by the sake of their tradition. It's like, for example, in Revelation chapter three, when in Laodicea, where Jesus, Jesus Christ is saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, hear my voice and, and uh, open the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. How do you have a church where Jesus is on the outside? How do you be Christians where Christians, where Jesus is on the outside? How do you be, how do you, how, how do we as Christians fight against Jesus? How do we put him out if we say that we belong to Jesus Christ? It's easy because our traditions, our traditions push Jesus Christ out, push the spirit out. Don't let him work. Don't let him move. Don't let him do surgery on us. We want to run. We want to escape. We want to make excuses for not obeying. We want to blame time. We want to blame this. We want to blame that. This excuse, that excuse, blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is that we don't want Jesus to interfere with our life. Bless us. Help us in what we want. Heal us when we're sick. Give us money when we're broke. But don't change my life. Don't interfere with me. Don't interfere with my life. Now, <laughs> excuse me. Now, what is tradition? What is tradition? Tradition, traditions are beliefs and behavior patterns that have been passed down from one generation to the next. Traditions are beliefs and behavior patterns that are passed down from one generation to the next. 
and we one of the 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 most central purveyors of tradition is in the home you know for example we have in the home there are certain beliefs certain behavior patterns that are passed down from one generation to the next the parents pass down their tradition their home culture their beliefs and patterns of behavior to their children and then if their children don't do anything about it don't don't disrupt it don't interfere with it don't do anything about it when they get older they're going to be passing down those same traditions those same beliefs and patterns of behavior down to their children for example uh one uh, for uh, the tradition abraham passed down was one in faith in, uh, in the true god abraham passed down his to his children faith in the true god his commands his laws his ordinances his statutes and so on the law of circumcision abraham passed that down to isaac and so on and it was passed down from generation to generation but unfortunately even though abraham was the, the man of god i mean he was a man of faith he was god's friend god loved him he did all this um he also passed down the behavior pattern of lying that's one that's one tradition that he passed down he passed down lying abraham was a liar and then what happened isaac became a liar and then what happened jacob became a liar and you see and it was passed down from generation to generation jacob was a liar and a deceiver and his sons were liars and deceivers you think of look at the example of dinah uh in genesis where they they deceived um uh, uh shechem they just they, they deceived shechem and the town that he ruled into being circumcised because uh the the man that the prince had raped dinah the, his, the daughter and they deceived the whole town this is levi and his brother had deceived the whole town into being circumcised that way when they'd be circumcised and in pain and healing what would they do they would come in and kill everybody and take all the loot so you have it that jacob was a liar abraham was a liar isaac was a liar jacob was a liar his sons were liars and eventually the whole nation lied again lied well, lord will obey you we'll follow your covenant and didn't follow it at all and continued to rebel against god and so you see we have traditions traditions behavior patterns beliefs and behaviors that are passed down from generation to generation and so why is this important because what i believe determines how i behave if i believe that mixing the sacred and the profane is okay then that's what i'm going to do if i believe that sex outside of marriage is okay then that's what i'm going to do if i believe in rebelling against my husband that that is okay that's what i'm going to do if i believe that as a husband not loving my wife and not taking care of her not being responsible for my children whatever whatever i believe that is how what i'm going to do because my belief determines my behavior we have to examine that we have to examine ourselves in this what are the beliefs and patterns of behavior that were passed down to me thinking it's okay to be sick thinking it's okay to be dysfunctional thinking it's okay to sabotage relationships and poison your relationships tear your own house down tear your family down tear your friends down lie gossip cheat slander whatever whatever you think how you handle things by going behind people's back and slandering gossiping whatever 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 spending your money however you want to being disobedient being rebellious 
hard head, or unmerciful, unforgiving, unloving, unkind. If that's what was passed down to me, whatever it is, how uh, that uh, I, I, I medicate with porn, I medicate with alcohol or drugs, well, where did I get that from? It was, it, if I think that it's okay, that belief and that pattern of behavior was transmitted to me somehow. And it begins with the family. So what I believe determines how I behave. Remember that. What I believe determines how I behave. Behavior doesn't just come from nowhere. It comes from a belief first. And that belief is something that is handed down from generation to generation as a tradition. Now, the problem with tradition is that it can easily become an idol in our hearts. Tradition can become an idol. It can take the place of God and it can take away the affections. It can take away our affections from God. And we have to examine this because the whole point of nobody in here, nobody in this fellowship and nobody in the church period is perfect at all. I'm apologizing regularly when I do something wrong to somebody because there, and there's never a time again where we don't make one mistake or another. We are striving for holiness. We're striving for perfection. We're working towards it. We're working towards it. But the bottom line is that we don't need to be sabotaging each other. You see, and that that attitude of self-sabotage, that attitude of working against the truth, that comes from somewhere. And it comes from the fact that these are behavior patterns, complacency, lazy, spiritual laziness, all these things, this complacency, like I don't have to change my ways. I don't have to grow. It's okay to stay as I am. God accepts me as I am, and, and, and I, don't, I don't have to change. Yes, God accepts us as, as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He has come to explode all that, the things that, we've, the things that we hold on to, our traditions that work against his will. So he says, so the problem with tradition is that it can easily become an idol in our hearts. It can take away our affections from God. It can take away our affections from the Lord. And now how do I know when tradition has become an idol in my life? There are two ways that I can know. Write this down or or remember this. There are two ways to know that tradition has become an idol in my life. And this goes for any of us. Like I said, Pastor Austin is not perfect at all. You know, I'm, I'm always having to repent. I'm always having to deal with the traditions that were handed down to me by my, by my beliefs, self-destructive behavior, uh, uh, that p- pornography was okay, sexual immorality was okay, lying was okay, gossiping was okay, stealing, vanity, all these things were handed down to me. And the Lord had to do, because I didn't get this kind of intervention that we're getting now, because that's what the church is. The church is intervening. It intervenes in our life to keep us from going off a cliff. That's why when folks just come here because they want to check off a box or to make themselves feel better or to ease their conscience about coming to church, you're, you're here for the wrong reason because you're here. The church is meant to intervene in our life and save us from going off a cliff. That's what it's there for. It's meant to keep us from destroying ourselves. And so these things have been handed down, and, and, and because I didn't have intervention, the Lord God of heaven had to put me through some very difficult situations in order to 
keep me from destroying myself. And sometimes, and it's the same thing, when the Lord, when we don't heed warning, we don't heed instruction, when we don't want to be disciplined, don't want no correction, don't want to be reproved, what happens is then the Lord has to step in with more catastrophic situations in order to get us away from destroying ourselves. So how do I know when tradition has become an idol in my life? There are two ways. The first way is when the lifestyle and teaching of Jesus and his apostles is different than my lifestyle and beliefs, which do I choose? The first sign that I know that a tradition, that is, remember, beliefs and patterns of behavior passed down from generation to generation, right? How do I know that when what, what was passed down to me has become an idol? How do I know? How do I know that? How, am I, how do I know that I'm exchanging my tradition for the will of Jesus? When the lifestyle and teaching of Jesus and his apostles is different than my lifestyle and beliefs, which do I choose? When I am presented with the lifestyle and teaching of Jesus and his apostles and my lifestyle and beliefs, which do I choose? If I choose my lifestyle and beliefs over the lifestyle and teaching of Jesus and his apostles, then I know that my traditions have become an idol in my life. If I choose my lifestyle, my will, my lifestyle and beliefs over the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, I know that tradition has become an idol in my life. And you find an example of this in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1 through 9. Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 9, he says this, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Why do you break the tradition of the elders? He says, For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So here it is. Here's the tradition. Passed down from generation to generation, wash your hands when you eat. But Jesus said, you're missing the greater point. He said, it's not about hand washing. He answered them, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And that's idolatry. Idolatry says, I'm going to break the commandment of God for the sake of my tradition. I'm going to disobey the word of God for the sake of my tradition. I'm, I'm going to choose. I know what the word says. The word says, I know it says, come out from among them and be separate. Touch no unclean thing that, that I may receive you. I know the Bible says, set no vile thing before my eyes. Do not share in the sins of others. I know I shouldn't be watching things with killing, cussing, and sex in it. I know I shouldn't be hanging around these heathen who are corrupting me. I know I shouldn't be listening to inappropriate music. I know I shouldn't be sleeping around. I know I shouldn't be lying. I know I shouldn't be slandering. I know I shouldn't be unforgiving and holding on to bitterness. But this is what I want. I know what the Bible says. I know it says one thing, but, but oh, it's being taken out of context. Oh, you're not, you're not, you're not, it, it, that, that can't be it because it goes against my tradition. It goes against what I want. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Why do you go against the word of God for the sake of your beliefs and patterns of behavior? Why do you do that? He says, for God commanded, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, see, I know what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says, honor your father and mother. But, 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 but this is what I say. If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you have gained from me is given to God, 
he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You see, and that is exactly what we do. We make void the word of God when we go against the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus and his apostles for the sake of our beliefs and patterns of behavior. You see, we want, it's like, for example, one of the greatest, one of the, one of the most uh, clear examples of this is merging the sacred and the profane. The Lord Jesus teaches us in the Old Testament that there must, we must put as priests of God, we must put a difference between the sacred and the profane. Or, but what do people say? Oh, but, but God can teach me something through this. God can, God can use this. God can do something through this wicked thing that I'm doing. Oh, that I'm watching. This killing, cussing, and sex, and lying, and all this inappropriate, unholy stuff. Oh, God can use that. God can use that. But then the Bible says, what affiliation is there between God and idols? How can God use something? How can God affirm something that takes our affections away from him? It doesn't make any sense. But we nullify the word of God for the sake of our tradition. It's like the Bible makes it plain. Women are not to be pastors. Up, oh, 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 Pastor Austin, you're going to get in trouble. Yes, the Bible says women are not to be pastoring nobody, no man. You are not to have authority over any man, period. Yet you've got women who want to rule and dominate men and lead men. And the Bible makes that point plain. I do not permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over man. Oh, but tradition, we have an egalitarian tradition. We want to open up the, open up the leadership to everybody. You're nullifying the word of God for the sake of the tradition. And they always say, oh, well, brother, all the, all the word, but the word is so good. The word that comes from her is so good when she, she preaches to mixed congregations, to men and women. The word of God is so good. Yeah, the word of God might be good. But, again, in the end, there's going to be judgment because God makes that point plain. And there are two things with this. You... You, you might say that the word of God is good, but hey, remember when Moses struck the rock twice, remember the people still got water. The people still got water, but in the end, Moses didn't get into the promised land. You see, and then, you'll, and then you'll, they'll say, oh, well, again, make and make, we're talking about make and know the word of God for the sake of tradition. You say, oh, well, that, that commandment where Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or usurp authority over a man, well, that's just, that's just cultural. That was just for that time. Yeah, you'll say that for that commandment, but then there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, yes, Paul. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I don't permit a woman to teach. Oh, well, that's, that's just true. That's just, that was for his time. That was just culture. You see, hypocrites, hypocrite, here hypocriting. We're hypocriting. The same thing we say, we want the Lord. We want to follow the Lord, but then we fight against the truth. Hypocriting. You're hypocriting. Undermining the teaching, undermining authority, going against authority, rebellious, stubborn, hard-headed, stiff-necked, rebelling, undermining, making null the word of God for the sake of your tradition, your beliefs and patterns of behavior. He says, what you have gained, he says, if any man tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not his honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. He says, you hypocrites. That's because that's all you're doing. All you're doing, these men here, they presented themselves as holy men. That's what they were doing. But, what the, what, but in their private life, in their inner life, and in their public life, what were they doing? They were making know the word of God. And that's what hypocrisy is. It's just acting. You're acting. You're act I'm a Christian, but yet I don't want to change. 
I'm a Christian, but I don't want to submit to authority. I'm a Christian, but I don't want to work. I don't want to take care of my responsibilities. I'm a Christian, but I want to enjoy what the world is enjoying. I want to be a part of the world. I want to watch what the world is watching. Listen to what the world is listening to. Dress how the world dresses. I want to hang with the world. Go in the worldly places. I don't want no holiness and correction and no, no discipline. Don't deal with my inner life. Don't correct me. Don't change me. Don't, don't tell me anything that has to change my life. And then what happens? You hang out with people who agree with you, who, 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 who make you feel comfortable in your sin. Hypocriting. You're hypocriting. That's all. That's all we do. That's all we're doing when we do that. It's just hypocriting. The Lord sees straight through that. Everybody else may have been fooled. Everybody else. But Jesus Christ sees right through that. It's hypocriting. He says, this people, and this is what's really happening. Verse 8, this people honors me with their lips, but what? Their heart is far from me. He says, in vain do they worship me. Meaning that our worship, when we do this, when we choose our traditions, over the word of God, when we choose our beliefs and patterns of behavior over the word of God, what are we doing? We are worshiping the Lord in vain. This is why so much of our ministry is completely ineffective, because it's the tradition that we're holding on to and not the word of God. It's the pattern. It's the pattern of behavior that has been passed down to us that we're trying to maintain and uphold. We're trying to keep that going in our life because change requires too much disruption, too much inconvenience. Somebody might talk about me. Somebody might look at me funny. Somebody might think I'm different or unique. Somebody might think I'm actually a Christian, and I'm obligated then. But our worship is in vain, and that's why we don't see deliverance. This is why we can, you can be in church and have so many dysfunctional relationships, husband and wife having dysfunction. Parents and children having dysfunction, uh, uh, dysfunction between the members of the body. There's no cohesion. Why? Because in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The word of God is plain here. It's plain. We nullify the word of God for the sake of our tradition, and when we're doing that, we're hypocriting. So that's the first sign. How do I know that tradition has become an idol in my life? It's because when I am clearly presented with the teachings of Jesus, teaching and lifestyle of Jesus, and the teaching and lifestyle of his apostles, when I'm presented with that, and it goes against my beliefs and patterns of behavior, and I choose my beliefs and patterns of behavior over what Jesus did and taught, I know that my tradition is an idol in my life. because I won't accept the changes that require. See, the faith of Jesus Christ is one of perpetual change. You're never, you will never not stop changing if you belong to Jesus. You're going to always continue to change and grow. You will never be comfortable in a place in where you are, because the Lord God of heaven is always going to be driving you to greater and greater holiness. Just like in Joshua, the book of Joshua, after they had conquered one tribe, Joshua didn't just sit back and say, oh, well, praise God for this one town. We got this. Thank you, Lord. We'll just stop here. No, the Lord told him, conquer the whole land, the whole land. You never, you will never rest. It will never be enough. You will never be done all the way up until the time you go to be with the Lord. You're going to be fighting this battle your whole life. And, it's just, and that's what we're doing. We're, that's what I'm doing. That's what we're trying to do, to continue the fight all the way up, the fight for holiness and godliness, all the way up until the time comes for us to be with the Lord. And the devil can't do anything with people like that. If you're constantly striving for holiness, 
you're constantly letting go of, your, of our worldly attachments, constantly trying to uh, be free from the kingdom of darkness and its influences and being unstained by the world. Satan cannot stop a person like that who is determined to follow the Lord and be holy and be godly. He can't stop anybody like that. All right. The second way, how do I know that tradition has become an idol in my life? How do I know that? When I am shown that the will of Jesus is against my lifestyle and beliefs, do I get angry? How do I respond when I'm presented with scriptures that are plain in the word of God? How do I respond to the word of Jesus when it goes against my lifestyle and beliefs? If I get angry when I hear the word of God, See, this is one thing that we examine yourself. We need to examine ourselves. When I hear the word of God, do I get angry? And it's not just pointing that one scripture and saying, oh, well, this is it. No, no, no. After you've been shown, the Bible says, by a matter of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. If you're presented with the word of God and you get angry or frustrated or upset, that's how you know that your tradition has become an idol in your life. If the word of God makes you angry, your tradition has become an idol, period. Period, point blank. You see, and I've, I've seen that. Folks getting mad at the word because the word is hitting them. The word is hitting them. It's making you change. You don't, and, you, and you don't like that change. You don't like giving up. You don't like giving up because that thing has got such a stronghold in your mind. That's what a stronghold is, something that's got a strong hold on you. That's what a fortress is. A fortress is not, it's something that can't be torn down easily. Oh, no. But that's how you know that it's an idol. If you get angry when you hear the word of God, when Pastor Freeman is preaching, when Pastor Jim is preaching, when I'm preaching, or when you hear the word of God coming from somebody else, and they're correcting you and challenging you with the word of God, and you get angry, that's how you know it's an idol. And see, and one of the ways you know it's an idol, too, is, is out of that anger, what do you do? You run to people who agree with you. You see, you don't go to people who disagree with you. You don't, you don't, you don't want to go to people who, who, go, who, go against, who go against what you do. No, no, no. You find people who are like you, who believe like, like you believe, who have the same beliefs and patterns of behavior. You see, that's why they all ganged up on Jesus, all the Pharisees, all the Sadducees. How you got all these different groups who were at one point fighting against each other, now all of a sudden all of them are in agreement against Jesus because Jesus Christ was going against all their traditions, all their beliefs, their patterns of behavior that went against the word of God, that nullified the word of God. Jesus Christ was going after them. And so they all confederated, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, all of them plotted against Jesus because the word offended them. And let's look at an example of that. In Matthew in chapter 12, there's several examples of this. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9 through 14, he says, And he went on from there and entered their synagogues. And a man was there with a withered hand. Now, here you have a man with a condition. He's sick. He has a, he has a withered hand. He has a condition. And more than likely, this is due to some kind of leprosy, probably. He says, and they asked, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You see, they're trying to set him up. 
You see, that's how you know something is an idol. See, they had made the Sabbath day an idol as if they were as if the as if they were made to uphold the Sabbath day instead of Sabbath day being being made for them. They thought they were lords of the Sabbath and not Jesus, the true Lord of the Sabbath. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? You see, here they go, that idol. Now, you, you got Jesus Christ, the God of, God of heaven, right there in the temple, the, one, the prophesied Messiah who you've been studying about for all these thousands of years that he was coming. Here he is. And when he's here, you can't even receive him. You can't even have him. You can't even receive him and believe in him. You can't. Your tradition has blinded you. The tradition was so strong. Their, their beliefs and patterns of behavior that nullified the word of God was so strong that you couldn't even recognize your own Messiah when he comes. But yet you knew the Bible. You attended synagogue. You, you went to church. You, you did all these Christian activities. But you can't recognize Jesus. Because that's what tradition does. When we hold on to our patterns of beliefs and behaviors, we can't, that nullify the word of God, that go against the will of our Lord Jesus for our life, you can't recognize Jesus anywhere. You can't recognize him when it's the Lord right there in front of you, trying to help you, trying to guide you, trying to lead you out from self-destruction. You can study the Bible all you want. You can do all this Christian activity all you want, but you won't recognize Jesus when you hold on to your traditions over him. And so here you have that contrasted again. Here goes the Lord, the God of the Sabbath, right here in their face. But the, but the tradition was so strong, they're going to try to challenge him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? You didn't value people. He says, and that's what tradition does. Tradition doesn't value. A tradition that nullifies the word of God does not value human life. Mind you that. It, it is, it will, tradition that nullifies the word of God only exists for itself. It doesn't matter who it destroys. For example, if you have a pattern of, of people who, um, who eat badly, let's just use that as an example. That's the first one that comes to mind. People who eat poorly, and they've been eating poorly from generation to generation to generation, generation, generation. All of them are sick, dying of cancer, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, whatever, whatever. That tradition doesn't care about their life. The tradition cares about the tradition, and that's it. All these people are sitting up here dying and sick from, eat, from maintaining this tradition because it misses God. And it's the same thing here. You would rather there be, you would rather this man be sick and dying, you'd rather this man not be healed, than to be healed on the Sabbath day because that's what it is in your life. That's, that's, that's the idol that you've made it in your life. Tradition, a tradition that nullifies the word of God, the message of holiness and godliness, does not care about human life. It does not benefit human life at all. A tradition, for example, of watching pornography or a tradition, for example, of sexual morality or a tradition of self, of self, of sabotaging relationships, divorce, divorce and remarrying, all of these patterns of behavior, uh, cursing and profanity, lying and gossip, all the works of the flesh, these traditions that we've made out of the works of the flesh, these things lead to death. They don't care about the human life. They don't. And that's what you'll find. When you find that you're doing something unthinking, 
a path that, that's just your default. You keep, you, you're defaulting to it. That's how you know it's a tradition. I, I immediately go to the unhealthy thing. I immediately, uh, when, when the situation uh, arises for me to be with somebody who's not wrong, I immediately jump into it without even thinking. I, uh, if, if somebody confronts me with the truth, I immediately become defensive. That's how you know. If you have defaults like that that keep you from holiness, default mindsets, default attitudes, Default responses when you hear the word of God, when you hear something that's hard and challenging, you default to defensiveness. You default to shutting down. You default to running away and and trying to find people who agree with you. You default to that. If that's your default, then you know that that is a tradition in your life. All right, let me move on here. He said, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees, what happened? What did they do? Because they heard that word from Jesus. You see, that was the word of Jesus. Who, who is more valuable? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? That's the word of Jesus. Boom. And what was their response to that? Verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. You see, that's how you know the tradition was an idol in their life. Because the word of Jesus came. He said, this is what the Sabbath means. It means good. It means doing good. It means people getting healed. It means a true rest in me. That's what it means. But they had another idea in mind. They had a a belief and patterns of behavior. And Jesus was challenged that they had been passing down from generation to generation. Jesus Christ comes and gives them another word that challenges that, that brings greater light to what they were doing, and so on. And so what do they do? Instead of saying, you know what, Jesus, we submit, we're going to stop doing what we've been doing for hundreds of years, because you, the Lord of the Sabbath, are here. You are the Lord of the Sabbath. You're here. So now we're going to stop doing what we're doing and do what you say. No, no. No, 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 no. No. Because it was an idol, what did they do? Their response was, let's kill it. And that's what you find with men of God today. When you hear the word of God preached, a message of holiness, a message of godliness, a message of separation, the, if the response is not, let me stop what I'm doing and be holy, if your response is no, let me conspire. Let me go and conspire with some people. Let me go and talk to other people who agree with me and and tear down, tear him down, tear them down, tear that person down who came to me and told me that. That's how you know it's an idol in your life. You find another example of this in Luke in chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Uh, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna go past that. We're gonna we're gonna ignore that one. We're gonna bypass that one. Um, there are several of these. Luke chapter. Look at Luke chapter four, verse twenty-three through thirty. Luke chapter four, verse thirty-three, verse twenty-three through thirty, and this speaks to the the. I think this one applies to to the victim to the victim attitude of our people, you know, the victim mindset. He says, and uh, in verse, verse 3 and verse 22, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, 
there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the, in the, time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Verse 28. Now, this is the word of Jesus correcting their victim mindset, because in Israel, they felt like they were the oppressed ones. They've always been fought against. They're the ones. They're the, they're the victims. They're the oppressed ones. <clears throat> and what did Jesus say? Jesus is going against that narrative. He says, and the only people who were cleansed were these, were these outsiders. And when they heard these things, in other words, saying, you're wrong. The problem is with you. The problem is not with these outsiders and these other, these Gentiles and these Romans and so on. The problem is not with them. The problem is with you. You are the issue. Your rebellion is the issue. Your hard head, stiff neck, disobedient, don't want to comply attitude towards God and towards his word is the issue. That's why you're subject to Rome now. That's what he, that's what he was trying to get at there. And that's why they got angry. He says, and when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Why would you be filled with wrath over that? Because what Jesus was doing was going against their narrative. And it's the same thing with black people, our people in America. All we're doing is complaining and protesting and, and whining about what white people have done to us in the past. And whenever you go against that narrative and say, listen, we're not victims. We are not victims. We can help ourselves. We can do for ourselves. We need to return to Jesus. That's what it is. We need to turn back to the Lord and stop looking to the government, stop looking to the Democratic Party, stop looking to the Republican Party, and start looking to Jesus. Stop comparing yourself to the white man and what he has and start looking at what Jesus has for you. But when you talk like that, and go against that victim narrative that we're all victims and we're all hurt. Oh, when you go against that tradition, oh, you're self-hating. Oh, you, you, you're self-loathing. Oh, you're, you're an Oreo. You're just, you're white on the inside. You're a sympathizer. No, no. I just believe that Jesus Christ can give us victory over anything. I just believe that's what his church is for, and it's for everybody. So we have that. So that's another example, going against the traditions of man the word of Jesus going against the narrative and the tradition of man here. And what is their response? That's how you know that that narrative has become an idol. And it's the same thing among our people. You, when you start talking like this, you start getting, people start getting angry. They start getting angry. You tell them you, that you can help yourself. You can turn to Jesus and the Lord Jesus will deliver you from all your problems. You don't stop looking to the government. Stop looking at the Democratic and Republican Party. Stop looking at that. People start getting angry at you. Because why? That narrative, that victim narrative that everybody's against me, the white man is against me, the system's against me, this is against me, that is against me. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm dependent. I can't do it. What? That, is, that has become an idol in people's hearts. So they get angry. All right. Another example, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Another example of how we know that our traditions become, can become an idol if I'm angry at the word of God being preached. When the word of God goes forward, do I get angry? 
we find Stephen, for example, going through the whole history of Israel, the whole history of Israel. He says, you know, um, you all have been rebellious from the beginning. You all have been rebellious from the beginning. For years and years and years, you've been disobedient to God. He says, and verse, verse, sorry, verse 51, he says, so he goes through the entire history from, from, from Abraham all the way up until today, up, up, until the, up until that time. He says, you stiff-necked people. And what is, he, he, what is he pointing out? He's pointing out the patterns and behaviors, the beliefs and patterns of behavior which, that went against the will of God for their life. And that's what you find all throughout the Old Testament. God gives them a covenant, and all they're doing the entire time from Genesis to Malachi is working against the covenant. They're working against the plan of God for life. Is that what we're doing today? Are we working against the covenant, the new covenant of our Lord Jesus Christ? And if we are, we know that our traditions, our beliefs, and patterns of behavior are an idol. He says in verse 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did you not persecute? Which one? Who, who came to you and you didn't complain? Who came to you with correction and you didn't stone them or, or go and, and, and slander them and talk about them and try to undermine them and go against them? Who, who, didn't, who came to you and you didn't do that to? You did it to everybody who God sent to you. And then he says, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He said, you received the word of God from on high, something that's going to save your life, save your marriage, save your home, save your church, save your city, town, country, nation, save the whole world. You received it. And what did you do? You have not obeyed it. You worked against it. You made excuses not to follow it. And verse 54, what was their response? Not, oh, brother, what should we do? Like they did in Acts 3. Like, like they did in Acts chapter 3. Oh, no, they didn't respond like that. Verse, verse 54, now when they heard these things, what would happen? That word from God, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. And what ended up happening? They ended up stoning the man to death. You see, when you have, the, when you have your beliefs and, and patterns of behavior are an idol of, of, uh, in your life, you will destroy men and women of God sent to you to save you. That's what you'll do. And that, again, is another sign that has become an idol in your life. All right, we're going to close with this. We're going to close with uh, three more verses, and then we're going to stop. What is the root of tradition? What is at the root of all tradition that works against the will of Jesus for our life? What is the root of it all? Where does it, where, what, how, does, how do traditions keep their power? How do they have so much power? over us and for so long that it would make you want to destroy anybody who goes against it. I mean, what is it in us? What is it that makes us, like, for example, if somebody comes to you and says, you got to stop eating this stuff because it's going to kill you, it's bad for you. And what is it, the thing that makes us angry at that? What is it? Somebody tells you you've been doing something wrong for years and years, and instead of taking the time to say, well, you know what, let's stop and think about it. Let's stop and, let me stop and think about how I'm handling my relationships. Let me, look at, let me look at my relationships in the past. Like, how have I treated men in the past? How have I treated women in the past? Like, let's look at that. Let's look at what I, what was, what's been transmitted to me by my family, by my aunts, my uncles, my parents, my community, people who I was surrounded by. 
what things have been passed down to me that go against the word of God? What is it in us that keeps us from thinking like that? And what is it that, for, what is it that our first response is anger and, 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 and rage and wanting to destroy? What is it? What is it? First Samuel 15 and verse 24. 1 Samuel verses 15 and verse 24. This is the root of it all. This is the root of it all. This is the root of it all. The root of it all that makes us go against or nullify the word of God for the sake of our tradition is in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 24. Now, here we go. This is the second chance that God gave Saul. God said to Saul the first time, God, Samuel told Saul, do not offer the sacrifice before I get there. Okay, that's, that's 1 Samuel in chapter uh, um, 12. That's 1 Samuel chapter, no, it's 1 Samuel 13. The Lord, Samuel tells uh, Saul, do not offer the sacrifice before I get there. What did he do? He offered it anyway, right? Why? Because he was worried about something. There was something that he was worried about that made him disobey, that caused him to disobey, that he was worried about, he, that he chose one thing over doing the will of God. So verse 15, I'm sorry, First Samuel 15, he's given another chance. <clears throat> he's given another chance. God says, I want you to completely destroy the Amalekites, destroy them. Now, these people, mind you, when they, because, and, and why, did, why did God tell them to destroy them? He says, I've noted what the Amalekites did to the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So these people have been living there for hundreds and hundreds of years up until the point of Saul, untouched, because it wasn't God's time yet. God was not ready to destroy the Amalekites yet. So here they are, their neighbors. They've been there all the time. God says, completely destroy them. What does, what does Saul do? Saul goes in there. He destroys every. He said, God says, destroy everything. He says, leave nothing. Leave, leave nothing alive. Saul goes in. What does he do? He destroys everything and everyone except what is good for spoil. Except. And he spares Agag. He spares Agag, the king, and, the, and what could be good for spoil. And he destroyed everything else. Now, Samuel confronts him about this. He goes back and forth, the famous verse in uh, 15 and 23, for rebellion is as a sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Here it is, verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Why do we nullify the word of God for the sake of our tradition, for the sake of our patterns of, belief, of our beliefs and patterns of behavior? Why do I nullify the word of God? Why do I cancel God's word? Why do I work against God's word for the sake of my beliefs and patterns of behavior? Because I fear people. Tradition is powered by the fear of people and what they're going to say. That's why we don't want to change. That's why we don't want to be radical for the Lord. That's why we don't want to give up all to follow the Lord, because we are afraid of people and what they might think and say about us. 
That's where it all comes from. That's why it's so hard to change. That's why it's so hard to break cultural patterns, destructive cultural patterns, harmful cultural patterns, patterns of behavior that cause divorce, that cause sickness, that cause death. We can't break those because we're so afraid of what people will think and say about us. It's the fear of people. And what does Paul say? And, it, and, it's, and, 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 Paul, and the Bible is clear about what the implications of that are. Paul said in, in Galatians, I think it's chapter one, he says, if I'm trying to please men, then I cannot be a servant of Jesus Christ. It, it, I can't. If I hold on to my tradition, my patterns of my beliefs, and patterns of behavior, and I'm afraid of what people think and say will say about me, I cannot serve Jesus. One cancels out the other. Let me just let me just get that for you so you can write it down. I want you to write this down, this verse in Galatians. I'm not we, we don't we're not we, you don't have to turn that. I just want you to write it down so that way you'll have it. He says He says, I will not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Let me find that for you. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says this. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of men? Am I trying to uphold tradition? Am I trying to uphold tradition that nullifies the word of God? Because that's what the approval of man is. Is tradition that upholds the word of uh, uh, that goes against the word of God. He says, "For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were trying, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ." You see how plain that is, and you find the same thing happening with Saul. He why was he why wasn't he God's servant in attacking the Amalekites because he was trying to get the approval of people. And when you're trying to get the approval of people, you won't tell the truth. You won't follow the truth. You won't sacrifice all for Jesus. You won't give your all to Jesus. You won't give up all for Jesus. You won't do that. You won't do everything to follow him and do what pleases him and submit to the word and give up your own ways. You won't do that. You won't. You won't because you're so afraid of what people will think. Oh, everybody wants to go to see this filthy movie, and, you be, and you're in the crowd, and you're the only one who says, well, no, I can't go. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid of what they might say or what they might think of me. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to eat better, so no, I can't go over to your house and eat all that. I can't do that. Oh, well, you just think you're too good. You just think you're better. You think you're this. You think you're that. No, I'm not going to go on this mission trip overseas. Oh, I'm not going to give up. No, I can't do that because then people might think, oh, well, you're, you're, you're not being stable. You're not being secure. Oh, you're not being this. You're not being that. The fear of people is what keeps these dumb, dead traditions that take us away from God and work against the will of Jesus in our life. That's what keeps it alive, the fear of people. That's the root of it all. We're afraid of people's disapproval. And you won't serve Jesus that way. I just gave you an example in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. There's another example of this in John chapter 12 and verse 43. You won't even acknowledge him either. He says, Isaiah, in verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw him and spoke of his glory. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. 
so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Why? For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. See, when you follow Jesus, you're going to go against cultural norms. You're going to go, you're going to be countercultural. That's just what the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is countercultural. You can't dress like the world. You can't watch what the world watches. You might not, you can't entertain yourself with the world entertains itself with. You can't listen to the world's music and go where the world goes. It's countercultural. And so what were they doing here? They were trying to conform to the culture because they were afraid of being rejected. And that's what tradition does. That's what tradition that works against the will of Jesus does. It causes you to work against the will of Jesus for your life so you can conform to the culture. And so that is, and again, so the, and one more verse, uh, we're going to look at just two more items real quick because my time has run out. But the praises of men, you see, that's how that man became demon possessed. Again, tying it back to how demons enter. How do demons enter through dead traditions that work against the will of Jesus for your life? Because even though you might think that you're okay in the crowd, what you don't understand is that the devil is the one who's in control of the crowd and of the world. It's the devil influencing the crowd. It's the devil. The Bible says in Ephesians, he says, the spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. So while you might think that you're conforming, that you're safe, that you're okay because you're in the crowd and conforming to the crowd and conforming to what people want and you're not offending anybody, you might think that you're safe there, but the, but the spirit that is controlling that group of people who are in disobedience and rebellion is the devil. And that's how you open yourself up to demons. When you conform yourself to the crowd, when you conform yourself to the world, you are conforming yourself to the God of that world, the God of this, pres- of this world system, the God of this anti-Christ, anti-God, cultural agenda. There's a God behind that, lowercase g, and it's Satan. And so you think that you're running away from God, but guess whose arms you're running right into? You're running right into the arms of Satan because that's where he is. He is in the crown. He is in the rebellious, unholy, nullifying of the word of God tradition. He is in all that. He is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And that is why the Bible once again says that if I offer up sacrifices to idols, I am offering them up to demons because Satan is there. If I am making an idol out of my traditions, my beliefs and patterns of behavior, Guess whose affections are being taken? I'm being drawn to. Satan is getting my affections. That's how I open the door to him. Because if I'm holding on to these things and not holding on to the Lord, my affections are being taken away from the Lord and put on Satan. And he's just manifesting himself through the tradition. You don't think these spirits know us? These, this spirit's been knowing our family from the very beginning. They know our gen- they know our line. They know. They know who we are. These demonic spirits know. And so they love the praise that comes from man and not from God. All right. I'm going to close with this. We cannot hold on <clears throat> to our traditions, our beliefs, and patterns of thinking and behavior that go against the will of Jesus for our lives. There are 
holy and godly traditions, if you're getting up and you're reading the scriptures to your family, you're praying, you're fasting often, you're, you know what I'm saying, uh, doing for the poor, you know, you're doing all the, you're being led by the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, what can I do to be more holy? What can I do to be more godly right where I am, whoever I am, right where I am? Lord, how can I cut ties with my past? Always thinking about these things. There are certain good beliefs and patterns of behavior. Any belief that comes, that, that is in line with the life and teachings of Jesus is, is what it should be. That's, that's right. Any pattern of behavior that aligns itself with the pattern and behavior of Jesus and his apostles, that's right. That's good. We have to cut ties with our beliefs and our patterns of behavior that contradict the teachings of Jesus, even if that means I have to stand alone, even if that means I have to be rejected, even if it means I have to be misunderstood. Listen to me, Christian. If you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be misunderstood. You will be misunderstood, and you will be rejected and ostracized. Why? Last verse, Matthew 9, 16 through 17. Last verse, Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. Matthew 9, 16 through 17, Jesus says this. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. He said, let, let me read that again. No one puts a new piece, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. What is our Lord Jesus Christ teaching us? Is that the new life of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the new birth of being filled with the Holy Spirit, of being born again, that new life in Christ cannot fit into our old life of sin. It cannot. The new life of Jesus doesn't fit into our old life of sin. The new wine of the life of Christ bursts the old beliefs, the old patterns of behavior, the old cultural norms, the old antichrist traditions and worldly attachments. The new life of Christ bursts that skin. You see, it bursts the old life. Burst the old systems of belief. Burst the old traditions and evil, unchristlike habits. It bursts all that. The new life of Jesus doesn't fit into that. It doesn't. And the question is, is that if I'm holding on to those traditions, those systems of belief, those antichrist traditions, those unholy, ungodly traditions, then the question is, is the new wine truly in me? Do I truly have the new wine of the Holy Spirit in me, working in me, because it, it, it's not even a matter of thought. It's automatic. He says, new wine bursts the old wine skin. The, that's what it does. It, it, you, the new wine doesn't think about it. it. It's not planned. It's not scheduled. It's not anything. It is natural. It's natural. New wine bursts wine, old wine skins. The new life of Jesus doesn't fit into our old cultural patterns of behavior that are unholy, un ungodly. The new life of Jesus Christ doesn't fit into those old relationships with these 
people who are with people who are not born again, who want to merge the sacred and the profane and want to be secular and unholy. The new life of Christ doesn't fit into any of that. It doesn't fit into our old traditions, our old denominations, our old systems, our old cultural norms, our worldly attachments. The new life of Jesus does not fit into any of that. I can't treat people as a Christian the way that I used to. I can't go where I used to go. I can't watch what I used to watch. Because the new life of Jesus Christ explodes all that. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants for us. He wants to explode every single aspect of our old life. And we all have it. We all have it. It all tries to come back on us. All of us are dealing with things. Every single one of us are. No human being is perfect. No human being is perfect. But the bottom line is that we let him work. Let him explode those, the old man. Let him explode the old life. Let him explode it completely. That's what being born again truly means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord God of heaven, we pray that you would cleanse us, that you would wash us clean, Lord, that you would help us to stop holding on to our dysfunction. I'm talking to myself now. My, our dysfunction, our, our behaviors, our self-destructive behaviors, Father, we ask that you would cleanse us, Lord of heaven. We pray, Lord God of heaven. I pray, I pray, Lord, for the wounded spirit. I pray, Father of heaven, for the damage that has been done to us in the past and that we've done to ourselves, Father. I pray against every single tradition that our parents and family have passed down to us that work against your plan for our life. I pray against it, Father Heaven. I pray against, even in utero, Father Heaven, even in utero, the tradition, the, 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 the culture of the home, Father Heaven, I pray against Father Heaven, thriving. Um, I pray against Father Heaven. I, I pray against performance orientation. I pray against uh, trying to earn the right to be inordinate desires, uh, overly apologetic anger, Father Heaven, wishing death, frequent illnesses, problems with bonding, refusing affection, Father Heaven, or having an insatiable desire for the same. Lord, we pray against all. I pray against all of these things even the wounded spirit, Father of Heaven, that our traditions and our behaviors, our beliefs and powers of behavior have caused in our life, Father of Heaven, that, that have been passed down to us, that were even in our parents. Sexual identification problems, Father of Heaven, over-serious, over-achieving, striving to make up for loss, anger at the idea of being a replacement, fear, insecurity, Nervousness, uptightness, jumpiness, Father of Heaven. We pray against all insecurity, all fear of rejection, Father of Heaven, all fears of being unloved and unwanted, all fear of following you, and all fear of giving up our old life, fear of what you might do. That's what we, that's what we give up, Father. Thank you, Lord. That's what we pray for, Father of Heaven. We, 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 we repent. And we ask for deliverance, Heavenly Father, from the fear of what you might do 
if we give up all and follow you. We, we give up the fear of the changes that you might bring in our life if we follow you. We give up the fear of, of the discipline of where we might have to go or who we might have to preach to or the, or the sacrifices that we might have to make if we, if, if we give ourselves up entirely to you. That's, that's at the root of it, Father. Fear of the praises of men. Lord of heaven, we pray against that. Fear of losing man's approval and the fear of what you might do, where you might take us, what you might use us to do. Lord, we repent and we pray against that right now in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Messiah. And we pray, Lord of heaven, that you would give us the boldness to break the generational curses, the traditions, that, 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 which are really the un, unholy, ungodly traditions, which are really curses passed down from generation to generation. We stand up against that and break those curses, Father Heaven, those curses of insecurity, curses of striving, curses of not feeling love, curses of rejecting love, curses of destroying our own houses, curses of undermining, curse of divorce, curse of strained marriages, Father Heaven, curse of orphanages, curse of curse of sexual immorality, all these curses that have been passed down, Father Heaven, we right now stand against that and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, it ends with me. I'm stopping it now. I'm going to live a holy and godly life, even if no one in my family has. In the name of Jesus, we're going to stand up for you and let you make the necessary changes in our lives without fear. And we pray to undo, Lord of heaven, all the behaviors, all that the devil has got, all the footholds, the strongholds that Satan has built into our heart, cynicism and unbelief and doubt and, and questioning and, and in all, you know, uh, this unbelief and contentiousness and rebelliousness and, and hard-headedness, all, this, all the hardness of heart, Father of heaven, that we have against your word and against standing up for the truth and living the truth. We undo that right now, Lord, the dysfunction, the disobedience, the, dis the disbelief. I mean, questioning each other's motives towards each other, Father, questioning each other's, uh, our, our, questioning our motives, questioning what we want to do. All this questioning, instead of just being obedient, Lord, we come against that, Lord. It's not just one person. It's a whole culture, Lord. It's in our background, Father. So we pray against that, that cynicism, that unbelief. We, we, we pray against fear, Lord. Give us the courage to take a stand for your word, no matter what changes it will bring, Father, because you say in your word, the first people to go to hell is the people who are cowardly. So, Father, we don't want to be cowards, but we want to stand up for you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we believe you, Lord. We believe it, Father. We pray against all insecurity. We pray against all insecurity, Father of heaven. The spirit of insecurity that has taken hold of us, Father. We repent for allowing this thought to dictate our thoughts, our actions, our words, our desires, our motives. Lord, please search us through thoroughly and remove from us any doubt, uncertainty, blindness, and denial that will prevent us from seeing clearly. We repent, Father, for any actions associated with our ancestors that open the door to allow the Spirit to have access to our lives and our family line. And we break and loose ourselves from that spirit of insecurity and all associated spirits of torment, fear, manipulation, oppression, bondage. Lord, we explode all worldly and unholy 
attachments. We renounce all allegiances, alliances, agreements, associations, all unholy unions with the kingdom of darkness. We renounce them in the name of Jesus Christ. We come against all spirits of, 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 of self-hatred, of contention, of strife, self-destructive behavior, Father. We come against all that. Holier attitudes of thinking of what was superior, Father of Heaven. We rebuke all that in the name of Jesus. And we, we want you to root out of us fear of people. Root that out of us, Father, so we can only fear you. You said you alone are worthy of fear. Help us each one, each one, all of us. Me first, Lord, me first. Help me first, Lord. And help us all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you to our brother for the word today. Um, I want to thank God for, I pray that it will cut deep in our hearts and we'll hear God speaking to us. There are many, many traditions that we have as Liberians that got to go because of Jesus. Many things that got to go. And um, we thank God for the word. As we leave, um, we all know, please don't forget your, what you supposed to give to the Lord. Um, we have the offering basket here. Just go to the offering basket and give to the Lord what you have put aside. Uh, Pastor Jim has given each one of us the account number. Just go to that. And I want to thank all those who came out today. I'm not going to do a shout out today. Um, I'm going to um, do that God's willing next week. God bless you and God keep you. God cause his face to shine upon you. I want the word that was spoken to you to be the thing that resonate in our minds. You know that God will help us to put new wine in new wine skin and um, you know put to death Dead traditions. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And uh, God's willing, early tomorrow morning, we'll start our time of prayer again. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless everybody. Love you. Love you, Love you brother. Thank you so much. <laughs>